Well, we're starting a new series in uh, Jonah uh, this morning. Uh, so if you'd like to turn uh, to Jonah, uh, that would be great. It's one of those books of the Bible that's quite difficult to find because it's small. Um, and so it's, in, uh, it's one of the 12 minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. And uh, we've got the, the one-chapter uh, book, Obadiah, before it, and uh, Micah uh, following it. I'm going to read uh, the first two chapters of Jonah, uh, but this morning we're going to concentrate on verses 1, uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 1. Uh, but as I say, I'll read to you the first two chapters. Uh, so Jonah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own gods, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath uh, barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. How does God work in the world? Does he work in the world? Is he active in the affairs of, of men? Or has he just left the world to, to get on with things? Uh, just left humans to, to get on with things themselves? Can we easily read what God uh, desires from the things that happen to us? Can we know what God's will is? Does, does God care about all people or is it just some people? Does he care just about his special people, Israel? Does he just care about the church or does his care uh, go beyond uh, those boundaries? Does he deal differently with his own people than he deals with those outside uh, his kingdom? And how does he deal with his own people when they disobey? When they rebel against him? When they behave worse than the pagans? These are some of the questions that are are posed by the book of Jonah and that are answered by uh, the book of Jonah. And this uh, short book uh, shows, we we find out something of the way that God works in the world. And perhaps it's a bit of a a shock to us. Perhaps it's not quite as we uh, think or as we expect. And it certainly isn't the way that Jonah uh, expects or expected. Just in these uh, four chapters of which I've read those two this morning, uh, we see a a huge amount of, of questions posed and answered. Now, the book itself is, a, uh, is something of an enigma in many ways. It's a little bit strange. Uh, other than the fact that, that Jonah spends three days and nights in the, the belly of a, a, a fish or a whale, uh, that there are other things that make it stand out as, a, as a, an odd book. It stands out from the other books around it. Jonah is one of the, the 12 minor prophets that are gathered together at the end of our Old Testament. And though they're called minor prophets, it's not because they don't, that they're not important, it's because they're short in, in, in their length in comparison to uh, the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But Jonah is the only one that is a, a story of these 12 uh, minor prophets. It's the only one that is a, a story. And it's the only one where at no time are the people of Israel addressed. Uh, so it's focused, it's focuses elsewhere. And it's the only one where what the prophet actually says is is not really mentioned. There's very, very little about what actually the prophet says, what the Lord gives uh, the prophet uh, to say. Oh, and of course, it's it's the only one where uh, the prophet does a runner, isn't it? It's very, very striking. It's a a book that um, fascinates people. Apparently, there's more um, articles written on Jonah than there are on any of the other books of the Old Testament. Uh, It's a book that continues to, to fascinate uh, people now. And yet, uh, Jonah's not the central figure and the, the big fish isn't the central figure. But it's easy to think that that might be the case. But, but Jonah's not the central figure. Rather, it's the Lord, the, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. He's the main character uh, in the book. He's the one that we are to, to consider as we uh, look at, at Jonah's uh, life here, or these uh, a few days, weeks, months of of his life. Uh, so this morning we're going to look at the, 
these surprising first three verses uh, together, uh, particularly thinking about how we respond uh, to God's commandments, to God's commands. So firstly, I wanted to see uh, that God gives clear commands. God gives clear commands. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. This book begins with some historical information about Jonah. It tells us that he is a prophet because these uh, these words at the beginning, the word of the Lord came to, uh, signifies that he is a prophet. It tells us who he is. It tells us he's called Jonah and that he's the son of Amittai. Now some contend that this is a made-up story, but it has a, a real person um, in, the, uh, in the story. That if we uh, flick back to, um, uh, to uh, 2 Kings and chapter 14, uh, we'll see that, um, that Jonah is, is mentioned uh, here. It says, in the, in, uh, starting at verse 23, in the 15th year of that's, yes, that's right. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned for forty-one years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of, of the Arabah, in accordance with the word of the Lord the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath-Hefer. So we see that, that Jonah is, um, is somebody that ministered um, at the time of Jeroboam, that is a, a real person, and that this story uh, says that it's about uh, this man Jonah. And yet there's, in this book, there's no other information given about Jonah. There's just... Uh, that, those small amounts that he's the son of Amittai and that he's a, a prophet. And so from that, from that, uh, those few verses in two kings, we, we is a prophet in the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. Uh, that he was ministering around in the eighth century BC. And that passage said that he came from a place called Gath, which was uh, north of Israel, not Nazareth. And so we, we can uh, um, paint a little picture about who Jonah is. Uh, but as I said, it's not really about Jonah. It's about uh, what the Lord is doing. And so the Lord gives Jonah a message. And the Lord spoke to Jonah and he gave him uh, what appears here as a very simple message. Doesn't he? he says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now you perhaps might expect Jonah uh, to be sent to Israel and perhaps to uh, to the king, as has obviously happened uh, before. But even though Jeroboam was a, a very wicked king, uh, that Jonah had been sent to him, and and as we saw again from those verses in two kings, that he he didn't take a message of judgment, but actually he brought a message of blessing, a message of God's mercy and grace that the the borders. Of, of Israel would expand back to um, what it was like under King Solomon. But Jonah wasn't sent to, to Israel. And he wasn't even sent to the immediate neighbours, Syria, of which Damascus would be the main city, but he was sent to Assyria, some 600 miles away, um, off to uh, the northeast. 
And he was called to go to a place called Nineveh, a royal city, which uh, is described here as being a great city. And it's perhaps more great in importance than in size. And he was told that he was to preach against it. So he was to go there and he was to preach. He was to go around uh, the town or the city and to preach to people and to give uh, this message from the Lord. And we're told that the reason why he should do this is because their wickedness had come up before God. He'd come up before him. It sounds an ominous message. I don't know if it's the sort of message that you would like to take um, out into uh, the community. But the very fact that Jonah is being sent there is surely a sign of God's grace uh, to the Ninevites and God's mercy. That he could have just judged them, couldn't he? He could have have judged them in, in lots of different ways. But the fact that he is sending a messenger there suggests that he's giving them an opportunity to to turn from their sin, a chance to cry out uh, for mercy. Now Jonah's message in in chapter 3, we're we're told what he says, but it would have basically been something along the lines of stop sinning, stop worshipping idols, repent and turn to the Lord. We have recorded what Jonah says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And we see in chapter 3, verse 8, something of the response of, of the king and his nobles and, and the people. It says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That's how they received uh, the message. And so God gave... Uh, Jonah, a clear command that he was to go uh, to the great city of Nineveh and to preach against it. And just as Jonah is, was given a clear command, we are given uh, clear commands uh, by God, aren't we, in God's word. And I wonder how we respond. Uh, firstly, God commands all people everywhere to repent. So have you done that? Have you repented of your sin? Have you realized that your sin is offensive to God, that it breaks It puts a barrier between you and God that you can't have a relationship with God, that you are his enemy because of your sin. But that God commands all people everywhere to repent. It's a message of of mercy and of grace. Have you done that? Have you turned from your sin and embraced Jesus Christ as the only saviour? Also, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. There are lots of commandments that we have in, in the Bible. We don't save ourselves by obeying them, but we do demonstrate our love for Jesus by obeying uh, the commandments. I wonder if there are any particular commandments that we uh, struggle with. I know that um, Christians often struggle with forgiveness, uh, forgiving those that have offended them. But we're commanded to forgive. We're commanded in Scripture to forgive. It's a clear commandment. And so are the people that you have failed to to forgive, people that you refuse to forgive, that you just think that what they've done is is too bad uh, for you to forgive. No, we have a clear command from God, just as as Jonah had a clear uh, command from God, and we have a responsibility to respond uh, to that clear command. Uh, But secondly, uh, we see... Uh, Jonah's clear disobedience. Verse 3, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. 
He went down to Joppa where he found a boat for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I don't think it's possible to underestimate the, 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 uh, the shock of verse 3. That it's, I mean, this is off the scale in terms of, of, of shocking behavior, really. That it's, this is just not a normal event that the Lord speaks to his prophet and his prophet refuses refuses to do what the Lord says. That the prophet is to be God's mouthpiece and that the Lord speaks to the prophet and the prophet is to proclaim what uh, he has been given to proclaim and yet uh, Jonah um, goes away. Jonah disappears disappears and disobeys. Jonah had been obedient in the past as we know. He'd gone to, um, to Jeroboam with this message of grace but this time it's different. In that Jonah does not obey the clear commandment of the Lord's. In fact, he he almost does the complete opposite. He's commanded to go to to Assyria, 600 miles east. But actually, he heads in the opposite direction. He heads west. He heads down to Joppa uh, to, to 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 try to get to, to to Tarshish. So I wonder why why did he disobey? People come up with all sorts of different reasons why Jonah dis, uh, disobeyed. I don't think it was that he was frightened of the Assyrians, nor because he, he had a, a particularly difficult journey uh, that he would have to either make on foot or, or by riding a donkey. I don't think that it's, as some suggest, that Jonah didn't want to be seen to be a, a false prophet, that if he went and, and uh proclaimed that Nineveh was going to be destroyed and that the people repented, that he would be seen to be a false prophet. I don't think that makes sense uh, because Jonah knew that the pronouncement of judgment was, a, was an act of mercy uh, that could lead them to repentance. Otherwise, as I said before, God could judge them without warning. It could be that Jonah was concerned that God was passing over unrepentant Israel and was moving his blessing to, to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians. Perhaps that this was a demonstration of, of the, Lord's, the outworking of the Lord's promises to Abraham when he promised uh, that Abraham would be a blessing to all nations. And perhaps he was further concerned that, that Assyria would then be used by the Lord to, to judge Israel. But I don't think it's necessary any of those things. They might, they might be part of the reason. But, but rather, it was because of his view of the people he was to go to that he had a hatred for the recipients of his message. He hated the Ninevites. And he would rather see them judged for their wickedness than from the Lord to show them mercy. In uh, chapter 4, verse 2, um, Jonah prays and he says, O oh Lord, Is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What is uh, Jonah saying? He says, "I, I knew that you were a gracious and kind and compassionate and merciful God because I know that's how you've been to me. I know that's how you've been with your people. But Jonah didn't want that for them. He didn't want that for the Ninevites. And so Jonah headed west and he arrived in Joppa. And that things seemed to be going well for his rebellion because as he arrived in Joppa, lo and behold, he finds a boat 
that's going to Tarshish. He can get on the boat and go to the place that he wants to go to. It's important to notice, isn't it, that even though he's in rebellion, and even though his desire is to to flee to the Lord's presence and to go to Tarshish, he actually finds the means to do that. It's a, a test, isn't it? He could, of course, have arrived at, at Joppa and found that the harbour was closed for some reason, that there were, or that there were no boats going to Tarshish. But he arrives, and there is a boat that's going to Tarshish, and, and they're willing to take him on board. And just to emphasise this, um, that, that, that this is such a rebellious act, the, the author mentions Tarshish three times in uh, just that one verse in verse 3 that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a boat bound for Tarshish. And that's what it actually says. And the NIV have put for that port, no doubt, just so it flows better. After paying the fare, he went aboard and and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Just in case we'd noticed, we'd missed that he was going the opposite direction. We're reminded uh, three times there's a real emphasis underlining uh, Jonah's disobedience. So where is Tarshish? Where was he trying to get to? Well, um, our understanding is that Tarshish is probably in southern Spain. And so basically, Jonah was trying to get about as far away as he could from from Nineveh. He was was going probably further in the opposite direction uh, than he was asked uh, to go. And it may well have taken a, a lengthy period of time to have uh, I've done that uh, journey on the boat. Uh, some suggest that it may have taken as long as a year uh, to get all the way over to Tarshish with the num- numerous times that they would stop and so on. But not only was it a lengthy journey, but also it would have been a costly journey as well. The journey would have had to have paid considerable money uh, to get a ticket uh, to go on this boat. And again, uh, verse 3 tells us that after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord's. Jonah's disobedience is is very clear, isn't it? Very clear. And it's very shocking as well. And it reminds us of the importance of current obedience, of present obedience. That Jonah could look back and and see a time when he'd obeyed. He'd he'd been given a command by the Lord and he'd obeyed it. But we're to remind ourselves, aren't we, that past obedience, although it's important and perhaps it can be used as an encouragement for us for the for the now and for the future, is not a substitute for present obedience. For present obedience. For it matters not only how we, how we begin our lives as Christians, but how we continue, doesn't it? And of course, how we end. Jonah's uh, disobedience is clear. And perhaps when, when we disobey the Lord, that we might come up with excuses uh, for the reasons why. We, we might say all sorts of things. We might uh, say... Uh, that we didn't really understand what the command was. We just didn't get what the Bible was saying. Or maybe we might, um, we might say, well, yeah, that, it's a cultural thing. It applied then, but it doesn't apply now. Or maybe it only applies to certain people now. And that we do this sometimes genuinely, we don't understand, but often not. And we do it, and it's willful, sinful uh, disobedience. It's a, it's a hiding or a running away from uh, what the Lord has clearly commanded us to do. I don't know how you feel when you read the, the book of Jonah. 
But uh, I used to uh, read it and think, you know, how could he? How could he be like that? How could he disobey the Lord like that? Uh, but as uh, over the last few years, I've been uh, very struck of how easy it is for any of us to to do that and to start on a course of actions that really takes us um, away from uh, the Lord and from His will. We must be careful, mustn't we, not to retain prejudices from the past and bring them into our Christian life. Jonah has a clear prejudice against the, the Ninevites, against the Assyrians. He, he doesn't want them to be the recipients of God's mercy and grace. And it can be easy for us to do that as well. It can be easy for us to vilify certain groups in society. But I want to suggest that it's a failure to grasp and understand God's mercy and grace. And it's a failure to grasp God's mercy and grace and to remember how good he's been to us. And that's why we're to, to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves, and it's to remind us of our salvation, to remind us of God's grace, to remind us of the way that we entered the kingdom of God, that it was a gift, that it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in what he's done and not in anything that we've done. And so then when we do find that we've disobeyed, that we come to the throne of grace uh, to receive mercy, to ask for forgiveness. So Jonah was given a clear commandment and he clearly uh, disobeyed. Uh, but finally, I want us just to think about the folly of disobedience, the foolishness of disobeying God. Again, verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish uh, to flee from the Lord. So Jonah is, is running away from the Lord. He's trying to run away from the Lord. And that seems, uh, it seems a kind of an unthinkable thing, uh, given that uh, Jonah is an Israelite and he should have an understanding that the Lord is the Lord of all uh, the earth, that he's not some sort of territorial deity that either has, um, has power over a certain area, either over a certain nation or over the hills or the plains or, or whatever else. He's not like the idols that the nations worship, that he is almighty and he is sovereign. That Jonah should have been aware of it because of the psalm that I read uh, to you before. It's a psalm of David. It would have been uh, well known at the, the time. And it had those verses, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirits? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the door and if I settle on the far side of the sea. That's an interesting uh, verse. That's what um, Jonah wanted to do, didn't he? He wanted to settle on the far side of the sea. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Seems it could have been written specifically for Jonah's circumstances and for his benefits. You see, we can't hide from God, can we? We can't hide from God. Just as Adam and Eve tried to hide in the Garden of Eden, and it was completely, completely foolish, wasn't it? They'd sinned and they tried to hide. But the Lord knows everything, and he is everywhere. We can't hide from God. And so Jonah must have known this, and so it makes his, his, his fleeing uh, even more striking. That he's perhaps trying to remove himself from um, others that that worship the Lord, and so they wouldn't um, it wouldn't prick his conscience. And that's something that that Christians can sometimes do, can't they? When they fall into sin, 
Uh, they think, well, I can't really go to church. And so they remove themselves from church. How can I show my face there? And they, they listen to the, the whispering voice of the devil. And they, and they end up going off and they end up uh, spending time with those that don't encourage their faith. They don't listen to the word of God. They stop praying, perhaps. They stop reading the Bible and they really find themselves uh, in dire straits. Or perhaps Jonah was, was just trying to get as much territory as possible between himself and Nineveh. And if he thought, if I head off in that direction as far as I possibly can, maybe the Lord will change his mind. He'll send someone else to Nineveh, or maybe he'll just change his mind altogether. Perhaps that's why uh, Jonah did it. We don't know uh, for certain, but these could have been the sorts of things that he uh, was thinking. But either way, Jonah is, is acting incredibly foolishly, isn't he? Because he should know he can't avoid God. He can't avoid doing what God has called him to do. But also because it's sin. And he should know um, what it is to sin. He's, he goes and he, and he, he pronounces condemnation on, on sin as, as his job. He should know uh, what sin is. But also he, he should recognize that in one sense he's telling God what to do. That's what sin is essentially, isn't it? Saying, God, you don't know, you don't understand this circumstance, you don't know what, we, what is best for me here. But sin is saying that we know better, better than God, and that's what Jonah's saying. He's saying, look, you, know, you really shouldn't be showing mercy and grace to the Ninevites, they just don't deserve it. But that's the whole point of grace, isn't it? That's the whole point of mercy. It's, it's not deserved. I just want to highlight the language that is used about Jonah here. He's told to, to go to the great city. He's told to arise and go. That's often what uh, the Lord says to prophets. Arise, get up and go. And so he's going to go to Nineveh. And then we're told that he went down to Joppa. So he was to, he was to rise up and he went down to Joppa. And then actually the, it's the same verb talking about him going onto the boat. He went down onto the boat. And then in verse 5, the second half of verse 5, but Jonah had gone down uh, down below deck again he went down below deck that there is a descent here the, the, the author is highlighting something that he was told to arise but actually he went down and he went down and he went down and to such an extent that in chapter 2 verse 6 he says to the roots of the mountains I sank down the earth beneath barred me in forever He's sunk into a watery grave, hasn't he? He's gone down to, to the depths. And that's essentially what's happening, isn't it? His sin is leading him down and down. And we know, don't we, that sin deserves death. But then the contrast in the second part of verse 6, but you brought my, my life up from the pits. Up and life emphasized here. This great contrast that to obey is to, to go up, so to speak, and to disobey is to go down. And this downward descent leads to death. And that's the folly of disobeying God's, that sin leads to death. And the irony, of course, is that our great desire should be to be in the presence of the Lord. That's our, our great hope, isn't it? Our hope of heaven, to be with him forever. That's why we gather together as a church, isn't it? One of the reasons that God promises to be with us in a special way. That we'll know his presence and his blessing and yet Jonah is desperately trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. That he's, he's trying to flee out of uh, the Lord's influence or, or, or whatever he means by that. 
Jonah's prejudices are, are too strong in, in one sense. And that he would rather deny himself the blessings of the Lord than see uh, the Ninevites shown grace and mercy. Disobedience is foolishness, isn't it? Disobedience is foolishness. So in these verses, Jonah is, is the opposite of the great prophet, isn't he? He's the complete opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see even just here that while Jonah disobeys God's commandments, that Jesus kept all of God's commandments. In fact, he came, didn't he, to fulfill the law, that he was tempted in every way, that he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, but he didn't sin. In fact, he, he quoted scripture, didn't he? He reminded uh, the devil or told the devil uh, what God's word really says and what it really means. He was tempted in every way, but he never sinned. Not even once. The opposite of Jonah. And while Jonah had a hatred for the Ninevites and didn't want to show them mercy or grace, didn't want God to show them uh, these things, that Jesus died to save rebels, didn't he? We were reminded last week, weren't we, in Psalm 1, that there's, there's Christ, the righteous man, and, and everybody else. And it's only when we're in union with Christ, when we are given that gift of righteousness, uh, that we can be counted as righteous. That Jesus died to save the wicked and to save rebels like Jonah and like you and me. And he's the opposite of Jonah. Jonah was called to travel a great distance to preach to the Ninevites, but he refused. And yet Jesus willingly took the downward descent that Jonah went on. He took the downward descent being made sin for us, having never sinned but being made sin, being punished in our place that he would taste death for us, that we could have eternal life. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed, but Christ wants us to have eternal life with him. So the challenge of this passage in many ways is not to, to condemn uh, Jonah or to stand in judgment over him, for we all act foolishly, don't we? That None of us can stand based on our performance, and we praise the Lord that that's not the case. We don't need to. That we all sin rather than obey the commands of God. But rather uh, that this should lead us to rejoicing at the wonder of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who always obeyed even to death, that shameful death on the cross. And that we might desire to be like him in every way. That that might be our, our great joy. My prayer to us each is that the Lord may help us to obey his commandments uh, this day and every day until he returns to take us to be with him. Amen.